It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Get in the know. Non-stop Vikings talk. It's Purple Daily on Score North and scorenorth.com. And welcome into Purple Access, part of the Purple Daily Score North family, of course. It is uh, Judd, it is Declan. Every other Thursday, it is our buddy Tyler Fornes from VikingsWire.com, where you can also find Sports Dad's columns and observations, especially now that uh, training camp has started. Plenty of content. It really is your one-stop shopping uh, for all the Vikings content, especially the written work that you could ever want. VikingsWire.com, if you're not familiar with it, it is definitely worth checking out if you are a fan of the purple. And uh, Tyler, football is finally back, so let's get right into it. Day one of training camp is done. Um, I, I guess the main storyline is going to be, until it's resolved, that Daniil Hunter is there, supposedly. People have seen him, but he is not practicing. He didn't bother to come out to practice yesterday. A hold-in is basically when a player doesn't want to get fined, but he comes up with a reason, or the team just agrees that he's not going to practice. I want to start not with, with Daniil, because we've talked about that a lot. I, I want to start with an observation that I actually made on Purple Daily today, and I'm curious because you, you know the background here far more than I. Right now, DJ Wanham is the left outside linebacker. Marcus Davenport is the Zadarius Smith replacement on the right side. But what I noticed in day one of training camp was Luigi Villain, an undrafted free agent last year signed, looked to be with the second team at the outside linebacker. And what what interested me there is watching him, he looks like he he looks like he fits the Flores prototype a little bit of a guy that's that's a hybrid linebacker, but he looks a little bit more like a safety. And I I know that you have um in the preseason previews that you did brought into question Wanham's status with the team. All of that being said, what do you think the chances are that Luigi Volane is actually going to compete and could win a job if Daniil Hunter is traded and or this just goes on for an extended period of time with his holding. 100%. I think that Volane is a big competitor here. And one thing we're going to learn, and we've talked about a lot with Quesito Fomensa, is his scouting ability and the people that he trusts to help him make those decisions. How is this 
regime going to look from a scouting perspective? A lot of people have been dunking on him, calling him queasy and saying that, hey, this guy just doesn't know what he's doing. You can't judge him yet. You can't call him a massive success. You can't call him a massive failure. Right now, he's just an unknown. Why is he an unknown? You have to give these guys time. You can't judge them off of a rookie season. You can judge Demetrius Underwood on his rookie season for never having taken a snap with the Vikings. That's fine. But you can't judge Lewis Seen, Caleb Evans, Andrew Booth Jr., who all had season-ending injuries. Ed Ingram, who they let fail on the fly so he could learn. Like They're rookies. You can't expect them to be Justin Jefferson. It's an unfair expectation. And quite frankly, we've been spoiled with a lot of rookie wide receivers. Just go look. Percy Harvin was like, I, I don't think he won rookie of the year, but he was a contender. Randy Moss won rookie of the year. Stefan Diggs was excellent once he got on the field after that hamstring injury. We've been spoiled with a lot of these guys. We have to temper those expectations. So Valane was the only UDFA to make the team last year. He was basically put on a red shirt type season. He only played in three games, one of which was a game Wanna missed due to what we believe was the flu because it was he was a late scratch due to illness. And I don't think Wanna's good. I think he's average at best. If you look at how he's getting his pressures and his sacks, it's because nobody's touching him. Eight sacks in 2021 was honestly due to Mike Zimmer and not DJ Wanham being a good football player. I, I've been projecting DJ Wanham to get cut. $2.75 million cap savings by cutting him. And when you're looking at the extensions, the Vikings have to get out, give out and the potential of Kirk cousins having $28 million in dead money next year, you got to be able to cut costs and the drop off from Wanham to Valane in year two of Valane's career is likely not going to be enough to warrant keeping a guy like Wanham because you have that kind of cap savings. I, I think Valane with his athletic profile could be really, really good in time. But edge rusher takes time. But you don't have to worry so much about edge rushers winning on their own in this scheme because it's so blitz heavy. And like you said, with that hybrid style profile, I think you could have Florence could have a heyday with him. So Tyler, you're bullish that Valane can potentially, and with time, obviously, and with the proper development, you see him as a guy who maybe is a pass rush specialist. Like, do you see him being an every down guy, like at his peak? Where do you kind of see if Valane does develop properly here? Where do you see him kind of fitting in Brian Flores' defense when the season rolls around? I think his peak is probably like a third edge, like the first guy off the bench and utilized in that kind of role. I don't think he has this ceiling where you're going to expect him to be a starter. Let's remember, he was a UDFA. If you get any kind of consistent production out of him, it's a massive win for the front office. That's how it is with every UDFA. That's not a kicker or punter. You just want decent production. Like Josh Mantel is six round pick special teams. Ace. That's a win. Obviously you'd like to see more. You'd like to get a Matt Burke or a Tom Brady, but those are far and away the anomaly and not the rule. You get good special teams play from a six round pick. You're doing something right. So if the lane becomes a rotational guy, like his profile suggests that he can. I believe that's a huge win for Quasio Fomenza and a feather in his cap. I, I'm really intrigued to see how Flores utilizes this roster because Donatel told them to, they were a square peg, told them to fit in a round hole. Flores is going to try to individually work each guy into their best position. And he's not going to have an ego about it because that Bill Belichick style defense, where you're doing a lot of man match, a lot of cover three being really aggressive. It's also, uh, there's a lot of ambiguity there where they can be flexible in how they have their personnel. And Flores even said in his opening press conference when he was asked four, three or three, three, four, he's like, who are we playing? That's a guy that's not going to coach with an ego. 
He's going to coach to put these guys in positions to succeed. And I think Valene could be a catalyst for those players who get those opportunities and thrive. So let's play this out just a little bit. Let's say that Daniil Hunter forces the Vikings hands. They can't come to a contract extension. Mm -hmm. And then it's obviously worst case he's traded. Let's say that they agree that DJ Wanham is just a guy. He's not, you know, he's not really a starter. He, he, he might make the team. He might not. What is the rotation or what, what would the plan be in your mind? If all of those things transpired across from Davenport at that left outside linebacker slash most importantly, really pass rusher. I think you're going to have to go to free agency. You've got Yannick Ngakwe, James Houston, two really talented players. Yeah. uh, Houston's 34, but he had like 13 sacks last year. The guy is still finding a way to get home. And if you use him as a specialist, that's going to be how you extract the most out of an older player and not ask them to do every down kind of things. And Gakwe, we saw what he could be. And I think he'd be better standing up than with his hand in the dirt just due to his frame and how he likes to rush the passer and and you'd add depth. I like Patrick Jones came into the league with four pass rush moves, all massively underdeveloped. Now that he's in year three, I think he's going to be able to start putting a lot more together, especially with Flores. And he likes having bigger edge rushers. Take a look at what Matt Judon is doing up in new England. He led the NFL in sacks last year. I think he had like 16 you can use bigger guys and they can do different things because of their size and power. And Jones with his size and the ability to utilize leverage in the pass rush game could be a really nice weapon. Obviously the goal is to keep Daniel Hunter. The goal is to keep him for at least a few more seasons, but in that situation where you can't, there's options on the free agent market that can help you win games this year. And then you figure out how you're going to move forward at that position in the off season. So, Tyler, I know Quasi likes to kind of buy low uh, on on stocks that are once really high, but with this mm-hmm. Daniel Hunter situation, and he also likes to buy players. You know, we've seen it already. He you know took a chance on Jalen Rager. He obviously bought T.J. Hawkinson at the trade deadline to a degree. Um, do you see a situation where a training camp plays out and maybe they end up actually adding like a defensive lineman or a pass rush guy after cuts are made or before the season starts? Or would you rather see them maybe get that insurance insurance policy immediately in the event that Daniel Hunter doesn't get signed or has to get traded and whatnot? I guess, how do you see them handling finding another pass rusher if they need to go and get one? Stay patient. You don't want to overreact. You don't want to bring a guy into the building now and potentially disrupt Hunter's camp and be like, oh, we're preparing for life without you. Okay, you're preparing for life without me? Then just get rid of me. Like You don't want to tip the scales either way. Plus, a lot of these guys don't like to participate in training camp when they're this late into their career because their body's already worn down in training camp. As we all know is a massive grind, especially like yesterday it was in the mid nineties today. It's in the mid nineties. Like it's brutal to be out there like standing, let alone actually participating in practice. These guys understand that like Brett Favre was the King, like the two years he was with the Vikings. I don't even think he practiced a down in Mankato. He waited till they got to winter park. And he was good to go. So that's a normal thing for a lot of these veterans who are still waiting around. I'm I'm not super concerned about trying to replace him now, especially because this scheme is like you can survive without fantastic edge rushers because of how the approach is. And you're trying to utilize aggressive blitz schemes. But I still would like to replace him if the choice was to move on. Just doesn't have to be now. Let's go to cornerback um, where I thought there was at least an interesting um, 
move made to start training camp. And I, I also incorporated this into my thoughts that I wrote mm-hmm. for you, Tyler, at Vikings Wire. Um, I did not expect to see this. And, and I want to talk to you about the fallout here. And look, it's one day I get this, but we are judging day by day here on what we're seeing from players and most importantly, probably how the coaching staff is deploying them. So in the base defense, the corners, not surprisingly, Caleb Evans on the left side, he is clearly ahead of most guys. If he can stay healthy, he had three concussions last year. This staff likes him. Mm-hmm. Um, on the right side, not surprisingly, Byron Murphy Jr. signed from the Cardinals as a free agent and probably right now seen as the top cornerback that th- this team has. That was not a surprise at all. What was a surprise is when the Vikings went to their first-team nickel package, a bunch in practice on Wednesday, um, and, of course, keep in mind, in this league now, teams are in nickel almost constantly. Mm-hmm. It was Byron Murphy Jr. slides inside, which we knew. So he's going to play the inside in the nickel. Um, Caleb Evans stayed at left corner. Joan Williams signed as a free agent from the Patriots. Missed all of last year, I think, because of a shoulder issue. He played a lot with the first team. Good size, too. 6'3", at the right corner. Not Andrew Booth, and in fact, it was Andrew Booth who was uh, with Makai Blackman on the second team at corner. What's your takeaway there? Because I found it very interesting that that a guy, I thought they signed more as a depth guy, and yes, he played for the Patriots and probably knows some of the principles that Brian Flores wants to use. I found it very interesting, though, that on the first day of camp, he was incorporated with the first team, and more importantly, Andrew Booth at this point wasn't. We really shouldn't be surprised at all. And you kind of nailed it on the head. He's got four years of experience in this scheme playing for Bill Belichick. And Brian Flores, obviously a Bill Belichick disciple. They play the same style of defense. It's essentially like, Judd, you and I get a steak, the same cut, same size. We season and cook it differently, but we're utilizing the same principles. Okay. Like that's what this is. And we should have expected Williams to be on that first team. One, because he's going to help teach the younger guys. Two, who knows uh, how they're handling some of these guys who were dealing with injuries last year. Like Maybe they're taking it a little easy on Andrew Booth Jr. to start and then try and ramp him up. Plus, it's day one of camp. You want the most experienced guy with knowledge in the system to be playing right away, but that doesn't mean he's going to be the starter or they even think he will be. I think this is more of a teaching moment, a, hey, this is how you approach this defense. Watch him because he's been doing it for so long. I think this is an absolute nothing burger and it's something we all should have expected because in my opinion, mini camp is about messing around and trying things out. Mikai Blackman in the slot was one of those things. Josh Metellus is a Rover. Heck like I'm not convinced Metellus is going to be that guy to make the team because of how the safety room is currently constructed, but I, I know I'm on an Island there and I'm okay being there right now. Mini camps about trying stuff. Training camp is about, Hey, best on best. And then let's work from there. And right now, Williams being the best third corner on this team, to me, is not a shock. Which of those cornerbacks, those younger ones, uh, Forno and Caleb Evans, Andrew Booth, et cetera, Mikai Blackman, which one do you think has the most to prove here in, in the next few weeks at training camp? It's Andrew Booth with a bullet. Uh, he came into the league as a raw prospect, and he needed a little bit of time and coaching to really get to that next level. The scheme that Ed Donatel had was not perfect for what Andrew Booth's skill set is. His ability to click and close and drive on the football is great for man coverage because if you have a, a receiver coming right at you, because 
when they're going to do these aggressive blitzes, it's going to be off, man. You're going to play about five yards off the line of scrimmage. Well, Booth can read these guys. If there's a slant coming in, his ability to plant his foot in the ground and attack, he shoots like a missile towards the football. And that's how he made a lot of his plays in college. That's how he's going to be able to survive and thrive in the NFL. He's going to be put into better positions this year. But those injuries, Judd laid it out really nicely a few minutes ago, talking about a Caleb Evans with the concussion. Andrew Booth has now had a second knee injury. They're different, a patella and then a meniscus. But they did the full repair on the meniscus and not the scrape, which is better for his long-term health. That's what they did with Irv Smith Jr. That's what they did with Adrian Peterson. And this is a really smart way to try and get him in a great position long-term. But he was a second-round pick. They moved up for him. He would have been a top 15 pick, in my opinion, if he would have fully tested at the combine. But he had that sports hernia surgery that he played all throughout his entire career at Clemson. And he was still viewed that highly by analysts like me who said he could have been a top 15 pick with testing. He's got a lot to prove because he has the most stock by this organization. They have put a lot into him and they, therefore they expect a lot out of him. And he's got a lot to prove this training camp, but I, I believe he can do it. Week one against the Buccaneers. Give me your best guess. Nickel package on the field. Who are the three corners? I think it's going to be what you saw today. And I think they're going to ease some of these guys in. I also believe they're going to rotate because I think with the top five guys, Byron Murphy's your clear one. I don't think at this point in time, there's a lot of difference between two and five. So Makai Blackman's going to get mixed in there and it's going to be cornerbacks are streaky. Just remember what happened with Xavier Rhodes, all pro in 2017, unrosterable in 2020. Like it's a very, well, they go off a cliff quick at times too. That's very true. Not like Patrick Peterson with a rare exception because one, he's incredibly intelligent Two, He was such a freaky athlete that once he lost some of that athleticism and his brain catches up because like your athleticism is here and your brain is here when you get to the league, your absolute peak, they level out. And then eventually the brain takes over and your athleticism wanes. His athleticism was so good early on that he was still very capable. Once he fell off that cliff, not everybody's like that. So we have to take that into consideration too. I I think you're going to see a lot of rotation with these guys, but if I had to guess, it's what we saw today that we see week one, at least for the first couple series, because hence the rotation aspect. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. 
Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Porno, what do you make of uh, Brian O'Neill being kind of, he's not on the pup list, which is good, but he's kind of, they're, they're being patient with him. They have Oli Udo maybe even getting the right tackle reps. Udo was a horrible guard, but might actually be a serviceable, at least, swingman tackle, I guess, are you concerned with the Brian O'Neill being eased along here? And also, do you trust Oliudo in a pinch to have to play right tackle if Brian O'Neill takes his time getting back from that injury? With Oliudo, yes, I feel comfortable with him playing tackle. He played well against the Giants in that playoff game, and he played well in week 17, or sorry, week 18 against the Chicago Bears. He's fine. He only allowed three pressures last year playing tackle. And I think that hasn't been stated enough. Look, he's not great. But as far as a swing tackle goes, he's one of the better ones in the National Football League. And then on the left side, Brandle's pretty good, too. He needs help with speed. But the second he's in the clinch, he pretty much wins every rep. And I think that's it's really nice to have those two players. Salary cap wise, they combined make up like one or two point two million dollars, which is just huge when you talk about how to build a deep roster taking advantage of that money ball approach with a little bit of money for a talented football player. As far as O'Neal goes, that yeah, ease him up. He doesn't need to play at all during the preseason. You take take advantage of working him back in. Now, yes. remember, it was a partial tear. So the way they repair it is a lot easier as far as the recovery process. The old adage is it takes about two years to fully recover from a torn Achilles. When it's a partially torn one, they don't have to do as significant of a repair they it's a lot simpler. It's a lot less egregious as far as regaining that explosiveness. I think O'Neal's going to be just fine. Week one. If he struggles the first couple weeks, give him a break because an Achilles injury is no joke, but because it's a partial Terry, I think he's going to be fine this year and long-term. And at the press conferences uh, that Adolfo Mensa and O'Connell had on Tuesday, they both, you know, I think O'Connell at least talked about the, the fact that the plan is for O'Neill to play in week one, but I'm not going to be shocked if he doesn't. And I don't think that, that that's cause for concern for no, because I'm with you. Um, this guy is too valuable of long-term asset. And in my opinion, as a tackle, Udo reminds me um, uh, a little bit of Rashad Hill, who I thought was a very serviceable swing tackle. Like he wasn't great and that's fine, but you know, I'll always go back to Rick Spielman and to a certain point too. Zimmer screwed the pooch because when they asked that poor guy to move to guard like two weeks before that training camp started, that's one of the most irresponsible coaching things professionally I've seen. Like playing guard's a different thing, and he's built like a tackle. So I think that that's fine. I want to pivot to wide receiver because I actually think that this is an exciting conversation if you're a Vikings fan. So Jefferson's there. It's clear the contract is either close to being done or it's not going to bug him. But, I mean, you know, he's there. He looked great. He's fine. More importantly, I think the competition uh, between uh, K.J. Osborne and Jordan Addison is going to be super intriguing because K.J. Osborne, just to be clear, works his ass off. And he might not be as talented naturally Mm -hmm. as Jordan is, but he's probably the hardest working receiver, including Jefferson, in that room. And then, if I may... I think Jalen Naylor is going to vie for time. He's a sixth-round pick, but he got some chances late in the season last year. I was pretty impressed, and he's another guy that I think gets it. 
So I actually think that the competition below Jefferson in that room is going to be intriguing. And I would urge people not to assume, which I, and I've been guilty of this myself. So just to be clear, I'm faulting myself as well. I would urge people not to assume that Jordan Addison is automatically, at least in week one, going to have the advantage on KJ. I think KJ is going to work his butt off to try and get as much playing time as possible and make it as difficult on Addison in being a good teammate as possible in that competition for the second receiver spot. See, I'm very intrigued by the whole Naylor thing. I see people talking about him. Personally, I want to see it because the only thing that we saw last year was garbage time. And that's Mm -hmm. not necessarily his fault. The Vikings did not rotate a lot on offense last year. It was, here's our guys, run them. And they didn't rotate in a lot of backups. Alexander Madison saw it and CJ Ham saw their least amount of snaps in their career last year. And I think that matters when you're talking about these things. I want to see something from Naylor. And as far as the Osborne Addison connection, Osborne being that kind of a hard worker is going to go over much bigger with the coaching staffs when they make those lineups than it is going to be with us on the outside because they see it in the room. They see it every single day and they reward those kind of behaviors. And that's not an insult to Addison. It has nothing to do with Addison, but he's already established himself with this regime, with this coaching staff, with the other players on the offense. And you saw that really nice grab that uh, KJ Osborne had in seven on seven drills that the Vikings posted on their social media yesterday where Cousins threaded the needle. I would have loved to have seen a different angle of it because it looked like a really nice throw. But Osborne, he just feels comfortable in this system. And I think what's going to hinder him long term, like as the season goes on, is the fact that he just does not have the ability of Jordan Addison. Early on, it's going to be a massive impact for him because that's going to get you the job right away. Talent will eventually win over down the line because I think we're going to see a lot of good from Addison as far as work ethic. And I think uh, somebody reported, I think we saw some of that yesterday too. Addison's going to eventually take over this job, but it's Osborne's to lose. He's got to lose it. And performing well is going to be a big feather in his cap. My biggest concern is how much are they going to rotate these guys? Because as I said earlier, they didn't at all last year. And because they didn't at all, is it going to be a trend that they don't this year? Or was it a different kind of circumstances where they were just trying to establish themselves and they were basically essentially told to run it back and they didn't want to have a lot of like turnover. Plus Jalen Rager was essentially the reason that we were so far behind in that Colts game because two routes run, two interceptions, one for a touchdown. Like there was a reason why they didn't rotate some of those guys in to begin with, but how much of that's going to translate over. And the more we see from Kevin O'Connell and how he likes to approach things with, with those rotations is going to tell us a lot about this regime with the staff. And it's going to tell us a lot about these players. I, I think it's Osborne's right now and Addison's eventually going to take over. I'd say by like around week 10, that's that, that'd be my prognostication. Tyler, do you think that this is the deepest the wide receiver room can possibly be here? I mean, you got Jefferson, you have KJ Osborne. If Addison and obviously Naylor show up here, like I'm just trying to remember a time. Obviously, they've had good duo wide receivers. We've seen three deep when we were kids, uh, but it really feels like depth wise. They actually have this receiver position, at least as it stands now, pretty honed. And it looks like there's a lot of potential studs in the making, even behind Justin Jefferson. I still think we have to consider Jalen Rager, too. And I know I just buried him because of the Colts performance. He still was a first round pick 
there is talent there. And a lot of people in the industry had him as a top five receiver in that class. I saw some people have him above Justin Jefferson. There were people that absolutely loved him and his ability with the ball in his hands and to be able to kind of separate in the open field. Can they extract it out of him with a, while eliminating the bonehead stuff? I'm intrigued because it, look, we talk about Quasi. Judd mentioned it earlier, trying to find value by taking guys who haven't had the best start to their career that were high draft picks and seeing if he can rehab them. It hasn't worked with Ross Blacklock. It hasn't worked with Jalen Rager, but there's still talent. And how, how is that going to uh, progress? And Rager came in at the end of training camp. How's he going to do with a full year in this system? Is he going to be able to figure things out better? Is he going to be an improved player? I, the depth question is very interesting because it could be really good depth that it could also stink. And I think a lot of that hinges on what you think of Jalen Naylor and how he progresses throughout the entirety of camp because Naylor looked good yesterday from all the reports I saw, but I want to see it consistently. I want to see you do X, Y, and Z regularly. Make that a part of your life. Make that your entire profile before I say, Hey, we've got really great depth. The potential is there. But the potential is always there because we like to think of things in an optimistic view. But from a realistic view, I, if I had to put a scale one out of 10 for confidence in that statement, Dex, I put it up five or six. I still need to see more. We don't even know if Addison's good yet. It's one practice in. Like, I, I, I love the optimism, but I'm, I'm going to pump the brakes and I'm going to give this a wait and see approach. Well, five or six is not bad. Um, the Rager thing. So here's where I think there is just a, a dead end problem because we've all seen this before. The missed, the missed run routes, I think are his problem and the undoing of a lot of guys that were impressive in college, you know, as athletes, as receivers, their undoing is the, adherence to being exactly where you're supposed to be as a receiver almost every single time. And my observation, and and, and I've seen this in scouting reports too, but it looks like, although his size does concern me a lot, Jordan Addison's routes look like they're pretty crisp. Like, like it looks like he knows what he is doing on routes. Rager, to your point there, you know, was entrusted in a game to run two routes correctly and screwed it up beyond belief. And so that's where I think, because if the quarterback can't trust you, Forno, I don't care what your talent is. You're not going to get the football. So the regular thing I think is if you could, if you could find a creative way to use him, perfect example, Cordell Patterson, right? Cordell Mm -hmm. Patterson couldn't run a route to save his life. And the Vikings finally are like, screw it. We can't use him. He's unbelievable talent, but we can't use him. And then, you know, team said, let's try him at running back. Let's try this. Let's try that. So I think if you can find a creative way to use Rager, um, that's going to allow his athletic ability to rule the day, it's fine. But, you know, the first thing, and we probably don't think about this, but it's true. The first thing that makes Justin Jefferson great is the fact that his route running is so good. Mm -hmm. And he's in the right place. Like the athletic ability that we, and to his credit, Randy Moss, like the athletic ability, which as fans thrills us and it should is actually not the most important thing in the pros from a starting point. It's can you do what you're told to do? And then when you get the football, the athletic ability becomes the key thing. But I think that's the most important and intriguing thing because, you know, from Cordell Patterson and phenomenal freakish athlete to Laquan Treadwell, a complete bust. 
They had one problem in particular that, that they shared. The common problem was both of them couldn't run routes to save their lives. Mm-hmm. And if you can't, I think you're pretty much in trouble here unless a team can find a really creative way to use you. Yeah, and the real intrigue with Rager on top of everything you just said is he has a guaranteed salary of four point two four million two point four two million dollars this year, no matter what. Unless the Vikings trade him, that money's not coming off the books. How is Quasey gonna approach that? Is he gonna approach it like, well, this guy probably shouldn't have a roster spot, so let's eat that money. But that doesn't feel like how he'll approach things. Cause if I'm already gonna spend this money and this this wasn't him fixing a Rick Spielman thing. This is him. So I'm curious how that approach is going to be. If he's going to say, let's ride it out and see if we can extract any type of value out of him, either via trade or on the field versus cut ties. This is a really intriguing way of how he's going to continue to build this roster because it's not fixing a prior mistake. This is admitting he made a mistake. And those are two completely different things, especially when you have to go to the boss, Ziggy and Mark and say, hey, I screwed up. This is why you're paying $2.42 million because I made a mistake and not being able to push that on anybody else because it was their issue. So that to me is the real intrigue with Rager outside of everything we've laid out before. It's the money. Tyler, we'll talk to you in a couple of Thursdays. Declan, thank you much. You have been watching Purple Access. See you next week.